Take a guess. 65. You're really close. It's 63. Okay. It means we're six episodes away from the penultimate episode, 69. I'm, you know. What, why is that the penultimate episode? Because we're going to stop at 70 like World of Warcraft. Just kidding. I thought they just did something. I the level cap's like level 300 cap now. They got to keep selling those expansions. Okay. Just like they got to keep selling those movies. Movies? Yeah. The World of Warcraft movie. Oh. Yeah. We're not talking about that, are we? No, we're talking about another kind of fan fiction today. Oh. Star okay. Trek V. Okay. And Star Trek VI, but... Is there any news? I didn't really see anything that uh, was sparked my interest. I mean... Did we already talk about the SpaceX rocket? Yeah, we decided okay. last week you blew it up. It is yeah. the 50th anniversary of Star Trek. Oh, yeah, I did see some stuff about that. Yeah, so September 8th, 1966, first episode of Star Trek. Neat. And CBS did nothing to celebrate the 50th anniversary, despite owning the rights to the franchise. Are you surprised? I'm not surprised, just disappointed, as usual, because all they did was release a shitty little video that only contained footage from the original series, Next Generation, and the J.J. Trek movies. I love the J.J. Trek movies. Well, may God have mercy on your soul then. Uh, but, yeah, so they left out a huge swath of everything that is Star Trek, and that, that was pretty much all they did. And they kind of left it to individual networks and online blogs and news outlets to celebrate the 50th anniversary for them. Yeah, I did see a lot of like news articles on some tech sites I go to that were just like, oh yeah, 50th anniversary, Like this is how Star Trek writers imagined the iPad back then, and all that sort of circle jerking bullshit. Yeah, so it's cool that it's the 50th anniversary of Star Trek, but, you know, could have had more fanfare. I mean, we, we certainly get more fanfare for like the anniversary of Star Wars every year. Well, that's because... George Lucas and now Disney are both money-hungry demons who just try and re-release anything at any given chance to make more money, whereas I'm guessing Gene Roddenberry's legacy is a little more restrained in that sense. No, Gene Roddenberry was into that shit, too. He just, uh, much like... The Not other... as bad as George or Disney. No, he wa- no, you don't understand. But And, you know, like in Iron Man 2, where he watches the old film of his dad saying, like, I don't have the technology in my time to build this, but I want you to do it because you'll have it in the future. George Lucas lacked the technology to make, or um, Gene Roddenberry lacked the technology to make toys at the rate George Lucas could by the time the 90s rolled around. Mm. He wanted to, though. There's this metal, like the Eidic I- I- metal. It's like infinite diversity and infinite combinations, and it's something like the Vulcan philosophy. And Gene Roddenberry forced Leonard Nimoy to include this in an episode, and William Shatner was going to do it because Leonard Nimoy was refusing to do it as he thought it was commercial and stupid. But Gene Roddenberry wanted to feature this medal in an episode, Spock giving it to somebody and talking about it, because then it would be a mail-order item that people could buy. Yeah, that seems a bit roundabout than selling directly like Toys R Us and shit. But it's the, the time. Yeah. He didn't have access to the same tools George Lucas did. Okay. Well, let's be honest, too. If we're talking toys, like Star Wars figures versus Star Trek figures back in the day. It's a little more exciting. Star Trek <laughs> figures sucked. Like, the people who made those, like, it would, they were just shitty. 
Yeah, but I mean, also, what you are you going to do? You look at some of the old them? Star Wars ones, so they're kind of shitty, too. The Kenner, yeah, but the Kenner ones were from the 70s, and you can't expect too much out of that. Yeah. But also, I think Star Wars lends itself more to toys because it just seems like it's, there's a. Well, it's just so ironic that Star Trek had better toys in like the 70s than it did in the 90s. I mean, like, people rave about like those old Mego Star Trek toys, but then you get the ones from Playmates in the 90s and they're just like, they'll fall apart on you after like six months. It's pretty bad. You, you ever go to Johnny's Toys when you were younger? Yes. Yeah. Did you get the key for your yes. birthday? Yes, that was okay. awesome. I just, I just remember that. <laughs> I, I guess really only people that, you know, grew up around the Cincinnati area would know that. Yes, yeah, so our listeners who are anywhere near Cincinnati and don't know where it is on a map, you missed out. Yeah. You missed out big time. Yeah. But it's funny that you said demons before, because that's going to come up again <laughs> in our talk about Star Trek V. I don't know if you did any research on the original production of the film. No, I just watched these movies, man. Straight <sighs> vanilla. Good. Because there's going to... Well, I mean, despite also what you tell me about him punching out God, I sort of knew that beforehand. I'm going to read the background of that here. It's just a couple paragraphs. Okay. When we get to it in the story, because I think it's, everybody deserves to know this, because if you watch the movie, you, you wouldn't get this out of it, but it's very important to know this is what they wanted to do. Okay. Okay. So, Star Trek 50th anniversary, I guess, uh, check out the Smithsonian Channel documentary on restoring some of the items for their exhibits. Oh, I'm sure there's like a good YouTube video that someone made. Yeah, the Smithsonian documentary is pretty cool. I mean, oh. they were restoring the big, like, the Enterprise model that's, like, bigger than, or taller than me, I guess, if I laid down twice. It's huge. If people really want to get into it, there's, like, a along those same lines, there's a really good documentary that came out a few years ago where they were chronicling them going into the old studio warehouses and getting out everything and restoring it in preparation for it to be sold at auction at uh, Sotheby's. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and, like, Leonard Nimoy narrated it, and they basically, everything you love from Star Trek, they were taking it out, like the costumes, the props, and getting them ready, and they were selling them to diehard fan collectors at the the auction, and they, they sold, I think, some of the Starship models went for, like, almost half a million dollars. So it was kind of cool. You sh- people should check that out if they're fans. Yes, okay. Justin. Go spend half a million dollars on a ship model. Then I will not be checking that out. And put it in your bedroom. Why? I don't know. Okay. It's like a race car bed, but better. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, speaking of this, one of the fans I remember from that bought uh, the Robin Hood costume that Picard wore in the Robin Hood episode, mm-hmm. and he put it on, was wearing it in the. Creepy. <laughs> Well, I mean, I thought, like, okay, like, that's worth a lot of money, and you just ruined it, probably. But, uh, you know, if that's what he wants to do. I mean, did he pull it out of the bag and sniff it or something first? <laughs> you have to keep it in the original uh, container, so it no, changes it's... value. You have to get three of each things, like one for yourself, one to give a friend, and one to keep in the box. That's the collector of mantra right there. The guys on scooters getting it's all the Kylo the Ren claw figures. grabbers. <laughs> guys are coming there with their custom claw grabbers and grab four or five Kylo Ren figures and just like drop them into the basket on the front and then close a big piece of metal over it. Well, four or five is a little excessive. That's just yeah, but still, boring. boy, were they disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> they really tried though. 
I mean, are those things actually like selling for anything on they, eBay? They, I, no, I don't know. Or about was that, it just like but... a sort of circular sort of, you know, price inflation? It was like, oh, because we bought them all out. We're going to sell them for a lot. And it, it was a, there hasn't been a Star Wars movie in 10 years, and this one looks like it could be better than George Lucas one. So oh. at this Kylo Ren guy seems pretty neat. This is before the, the grandpa helped me be evil scene was sh- you know shown on hundreds of thousands of screens. Yeah. So at that moment, you heard like the mechanical whir of all those guys leaving the theater in their scooters. <laughs> yeah, they're, uh, what are those things called? Hover Rascals. Hover rounds. There's several Rascals. different models. Rascals is what I was thinking of. Rascals seem like they're pretty, uh, pretty all terrain. There's a guy down the street who took one through the drive-through liquor store that I saw. That's pretty solid. Yeah. Although I've seen, well, I guess kids these days, as I shake my fist at some clouds. Yeah. Uh, on those little hoverboard scooter things. Yeah. That are not real hoverboards. No, it, yeah. it's little ridiculous looking. And that's set on fire. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that, yeah. It's always by a Chinese motor products that's that's what i've learned i just feel like those things would be so easy to face plant on oh yeah there are plenty of youtube videos of just that but i like the ones that kids ride in near a pool (laughs) you seen that what there's a girl riding one a really good one near a pool apparently and she you know loses her balance and hops off of it and the thing keeps going and just drives into the pool (laughs) it's just like oh fuck you they're in the box yep sorry kid (laughs) (laughs) anyway Anyway. Anyway, Star Trek V. Star Trek V. Star Trek V. Let me heal your pain, Justin. Okay. I'm Spock's creepy brother. Uh, Soyvac or something? or Cybok. Cybok? Cybok? That's Soybok. <laughs> Let me call him Cyborg if you want. He's not uh, uh, an ingredient in an Asian dish. <laughs> oh, man, that sounds pretty good. He is stupid, though. <laughs> He's terrible. I... I hate this movie. This whole movie I mean, is I terrible. didn't really get why it's like he heard something from God, but then that isn't the same God, so he's really just tripping balls to go to the edge of the universe or galaxy. I don't really know what this, was going this, on. The story in this movie, like it's just whole movies. The only good part of this movie is the score. That's it. Yes, I just pulled up the Wikipedia card to, to read this. Directed by William Shatner. Story by William Shatner. Music by our good friend Jerry Goldsmith. So, music's okay. good because Jerry Goldsmith's a master. But this is a William Shatner fan fiction film about Captain Kirk having the fortitude to defeat God after Spock is tricked by his half wit brother and everybody around them is tricked by him too. But only Kirk knows he's full of shit. Mm. Did you get that vibe at all in the film that he was able to take people in? You know, let me heal your pain, Dr. McCoy. I know you regret your dad dying before the cure for the disease was found. And Kirk's like, yeah, you're full of shit. I'm, I know that. Yeah. I'm Kirk. Yeah. All these guys getting taken in by your hucksterism and your snake oil, they're retards. I'm Kirk. Can't trick me. So I really didn't understand the whole, like, like the whole story, honestly, like, like I said, like, okay, it's like he's tricking people into feeling regret for shit they did, but it's like, okay, you know, Bones, you've had, you know, probably 30, 40 years to work out these uh, feelings you have about your dad. I'm sure you feel a bit of regret, but not enough to freaking follow some dude because he's bringing that back up to the surface. Like, I don't get why 
that would make you follow someone? Nope, I couldn't tell you. Okay. I couldn't tell you why his cult of people on that planet like him. And why was he the only Vulcan? I mean, like, no one's ever heard of another Vulcan who's, like, a bit, you know, energetic and, like, have, you know, stronger emotions. Pure blood, that is, I guess. Is it just like, oh, Spock sometimes has emotion, so we're going to make one Vulcan who has a ton because I'm Shatner. I I think this was just a product of William Shatner writing this or writing the first draft or something. Okay. But unfortunately, he sowed the seed of destruction in Star Trek because then uh, our friends Rick Berman and Brandon Braga come back years later in Star Trek Enterprise and say, oh, there's this sect of Vulcans who act just like humans. But they rape people. Um, well, yeah. Hey, that took a took a bit dark of a turn, turn there. Yeah, I know. They're trying to be. It's fucking on UPN. They're trying to be as edgy as possible. They mind rape people, just All like right. the guys who mind rape people in that TNG episode. So, like, they're not even being <laughs> they're not even being honest in how they they portray the rape, mind rape, and all that. They're just ripping off their own idea. Well, I mean, that one guy in TNG, though, was a demented loser. The rest of the people who did that were okay, but there's, like, the whole sect of Vulcan rebels who have emotions. So I I guess that's, uh... Okay, so this was actually, like... Hold on a second. Back to what we were saying. I had a point I was going to make. Yes. What were you just saying before, like, that? Well, we were talking about uh, edgy Vulcans mind-raping people. As an offshoot, and Vulcans have emotions. So William Shatner's the one who started that. Uh... Yeah. So, like, I guess, has there ever been a bit of Star Trek that wasn't that was like accepted canon, and they just sort of threw it away, kind of like Star Trek, is what I was gonna say. Like, I mean, what? Like, has there ever been a movie or a uh, episode that was like so bad or just like? poorly written that people just write it off as non-canon nope no kind of i like mean how people even don't. spock's brain and infamously bad episode is uh, regarded as they canon. there's oh. stuff from the original series like events and stuff and like mentions of things that happened in the past that are kind of retconned in the later series or like they're just a okay. different interpretation like they all have this thing about like World War Three happened and stuff, but you know, like the original series is a bit sketchy on like how it all went down actually, and they kind of actually fleshed it out in Star Trek First Contact. Ooh, yeah, foreshadowing. Are the the main series movies or the the old cast movies done after six? Yeah. Oh, okay. And then Star Trek Generations is like a combo crossover where they're trying to pass the baton, and then Star Trek First Contact is only TNG. Okay. Yeah. Just curious. But, but there's, there's a lot of things they do that with, especially like Khan. Like there's the eugenics war of 1996, and then World War III happens somewhere in that vicinity too. And they obviously we had a eugenics as eugenics war. Huh? We had a eugenics war at some a- point. Apparently, yeah. It's, oh, it's the closer okay. you get to like the the dates, because then there's like a, an episode of Star Trek Voyager where they go back in time to 1996. And it's like, hey, this looks remarkably non-eugenics war. In fact, they're using fucking shitty computers on dial-up. <laughs> I said, yeah. They, so they have to kind of move it around. Oh, wait, is that that's the episode with Sarah Silverman, right? Yeah. Where they have to stop Ed yeah. Bagley Jr. Yes. From- <laughs> <laughs> Again, it's like shit like you're talking about right now. It's like, how is that not like, like decanonized or something like that? I mean, like Kirk punching God doesn't make any fucking sense to me. And I feel like... 
He doesn't punch God. When does he punch God? More or less. He he, he like, climbs a hill, and I don't get why that like is so scary. Like he I rhetorically get you, God. punches God. He asks him why he needs the fucking starship, and God can't answer him. So he's like, yeah. It's <laughs> but then he like, climbs a hill, and it's like, I'm gonna get you, God, and then he gets yeah. shot. I don't know why climbing a hill would scare God, but he's trying to get away from God. He has the high ground. You cannot win. (laughs) He warned him. He told, he warned him. He told him not to do it and he fucking did it anyway. Don't try it, tough guy. And then he got his his (laughs) arm and his, both his legs cut off. What? Anakin. Oh, okay. I thought we were talking about God. Well, I mean, metaphorically, William Shatner had the high ground and, you know, killed God. The one thing I don't, like, just from the very beginning, I don't really get the the motivation for making this movie besides they had to make another movie because it really does read like William Shatner's fan fiction. Yeah, because, like, you can't, he can't decide what he wants it to be. It's like, they're going to go back to an exploration movie. Nope. No, but it's like, oh, but it's really a buddy movie. It's like, they already did that twice, the two past movies. And... Yeah. Then, like, they inject the humor in there at, like, inappropriate times, and it kind of falls flat. It's like, you know, <laughs> it, like, they kind of did the humorous film in Star Trek Four, and it works. So, like, why would you do that again? And it's like he just couldn't decide what to do with this thing. He just knew that he had to direct it. That's... I'd like to bring up two points right now. First of all, I think it's because if you read William Shatner's book, Paramount knew that they had to make the movie or William Shatner could sue them. So he kind of had like his golden ticket, so to speak. I got a shitty script, but I got a contract saying we have to make it. So they're like, oh, fuck. Well, can Harf Bennett rewrite some of it? Okay. But does I'm his, the director. Does his book have like some sort of like Star Trek pun in the title? Uh, like, I am he's Kirk got, or he's something got several like that. different books. The thing, the first one was called Get a Life, where he's talking about how Star Trek fans like will accost him in bathrooms and stuff, oh, okay. and ask him detailed technical questions about like the Enterprise's warp capability while he's trying to take a piss. Those are valid things to ask someone while they're taking a piss. I guess. I I don't know. So that's that's separate. But the other thing I want to talk about because we're talking about the humor was the the marshmallow controversy. <laughs> yes. The, There's a controversy. Oh yes. The greatest controversy known to man. Is this like the dress that's like blue and black or gold and white or whatever? No, it's because they. there's a whole article on the Star Trek version of Wikipedia that goes through mental gymnastics to try to explain why Kirk has the huge D-battery-powered marshmallow dispenser that is so massive and heavy he could easily <laughs> carry like five bags of marshmallows <laughs> for all the trouble it goes through. See, I thought that was just like a... like food processor type thing where it's just like you pull out whatever food you're you want of that thing not that, just that's what i thought it was balance. supposed to be too like it's supposed to be like some kind of like proto replicator thing like it'll replicate the marshmallow for you or like whatever but yeah. then they they sold it as a toy yeah and it's like oh you can pack it with marshmallows and like shoot them out and it's specifically <laughs> the the marshmallow dispenser so there's two controversies one what the fuck? Why wouldn't you just carry bags of them or whatever? And number well, two, what's space. a marsh? What's a marshmallow? Marshmallow is oh okay yeah I don't get that because I thought like nobody knows it was a marshmallow yeah and then like bones like sort of gave like a weird look to Spock it's like hey are you high man like you're saying that wrong <laughs> like that's what I got the look that's what I got from that look so I thought like oh maybe Spock read it wrong but then it's like it's not 
something that's foreign to, you know, Kirk or McCoy. Right. So it's like, why, why would it be listed as marshmallow in whatever? Like the the, the humor in that scene, like the the part of it that works is the fact that like you know they're trying to do something spontaneous, and Spock like has thoroughly researched what it means to go camping, and he has like brought the marshmallow dispenser and everything. But then it's like they. I don't know the marshmallow dispenser itself. It's like, yeah, what the fuck is a marshmallow? And it's that a, becomes it's a marshmallow. That it's becomes marshmallow. the scene. It becomes the the yeah. whole focus of the first part of the movie is what the fuck is a marshmallow, and why do you need this lightsaber thing to dispense them? It's, also, it's a great source of debate in the Star Trek community because the the memory alpha wiki page is just like, well, maybe marshmallows are what the, the marshmallows are called in the twenty third century. We can't know this information, or like they're a marshmallow like thing from a different planet or something. Like they're from like the Alpha Centauri <laughs> version of marshmallow. It's similar <laughs> from a Federation colony, but not exactly the same. How's it different? Well, we can't explain that. Yeah, but that was on memory beta, not memory alpha, like the fan fiction version. <laughs> oh, it's fucking brutal. <laughs> also, like, when they're out on, like, you know, missions and whatnot, they're in their spaceship or they go down to planets and, like, explore them or whatever. So they do the exactly the same thing, like, just with no stress when they go on shore leave, just camping and exploring and whatnot and climbing. And rocket boots. And rocket boots. Yeah. Not magnet boots. No. We'll get to that. We'll get to that, but rocket boots. Yes, that yes. is just ridiculous looking when they are put into use inside a ship. Well, yes. did you did you like the blue screen of William Shatner falling off the mountain too? Oh yeah. I sort of got I forgot about that in lieu of the next bad CGI in the next movie. I really like the blood and whatnot. Oh the, yeah, the blood globs are bad, but the the practical shot of Leonard Nimoy hanging from the crane and they're just like pouring dry ice smoke off of his feet off off out of frame a little bit like oh he's still got the boots going guys don't worry about it that is something I have a serious problem with in this movie the practical and the special effects in this movie they suck and I think it's because ILM was supposed to do the effects for this like they did for all the other Star Trek movies but they were like hold up on some other project they were doing and couldn't be available. So they had to go to like another VFX group and they just totally like phoned it in, messed it up because the effects in this movie are just They were working really on bad. Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade and Ghostbusters 2. All right. Well, one of those is, is a more worthy... What? Uh, one? Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade is a more worthy... Um, it's a better movie than Ghostbusters yeah. 2. I mean, wasn't bad. No, but Indiana Jones is a better movie. They're both more worthy of their time yeah. than Star Trek V. So. But they're busy. Their schedule was full, so they had to go with a lesser shop. And, uh, so that's why shows. you get effects in this movie, like, really, really, like, you know, stop-motion-y looking, like, the guns on the Klingon ship turning to, to aim and stuff. And, like, you get the, the Enterprise going into warp speed, which looks like it's going incredibly slow, like, right when the torpedo comes past it or god looking like i don't know one of those little like things you got in cereal boxes where you like wiggle it back and forth and it makes different faces god reminded me <laughs> it, it reminded me of the the master control program from tron who's like the big like spinny yeah, funnel thing a little bit and it's like wow that was made like seven years before this movie so he was stuck in one spot right how could he like move around and chase kirk 
through valleys. I think he was all over the planet, but he just like chose that place. The Eagles probably moved him around. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. Unanswered questions. Why didn't those fucking Eagles just fly them right over Mount Doom in the beginning? The movie would have been 15 minutes. Um, I've read this. It's because like the Eagles can't approach Mount Doom because of like Saren's evil aura or something. I don't know. I'm not a Lord of the Rings expert, but I know it's because something about Mount Doom, the Eagles can't approach it. Whatever. Magical barriers. I'm sure we'll get a crossover film eventually when people have truly run out of ideas and Chris Pine will beam into Mount Doom and drop the ring in. Well, that'd be a short movie. It, it would, but that would be more entertaining than Star Trek V. Because uh, we should discuss the plot, I think. So the camping thing is kind of irrelevant. Is it? They, they camp, they sing a song, okay. But the, the space adventure... They make fart jokes at the camp, too. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> space yeah. adventure is the relevant portion yeah. of the film. Okay, so like the whole conceit is there's this planet that they all set up like 20 years ago the Romulans, the Klingons, and the Federation to be like a neutral planet where they could like make Talk. a peaceful planet or something. And it's a shithole. I think it's supposed to be their version of that hilarious building that's between North and South Korea that's like just the shed. Okay, well, then it, it's a shithole, and I guess Cybok thinks that like taking a shithole hostage will bring like the starship there, and like he turns out to be right, but that's completely... It seems really illogical since they pretty much state that the Federation sent like the worst of the worst people there to colonize it. It's uh doesn't seem like they would go through that much expense. And of course the yeah. Fed- this the Enterprise is the only ship in the quadrant. Again, that's like the excuse they always use, but that seems impossible too, because there are lots of starships. Why was there a guy digging holes at the start of the movie? With, like, the, no teeth or just, like, lots of gums? He had, like, looking for water or something? I don't know. Okay, I didn't know if it was a callback to that book. And he has, like, a gun that was, like, a air gun? <laughs> I don't know. I don't think Holes is written at this point in time. Okay, well, that's where the author drew inspiration from. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe they were trying to go for a Dune look? I have no idea. But then, like, it wasn't ever that sort of look on that planet again. It was, like... Sandy no. rather than like dried up lake bed kind of thing. Nope, nobody knows. It's not important to the plot apparently. Okay. Cybok just shows up and is like, what's How'd Cybok up? get there? Eagles. Okay. Is that ever explained? I no. Yeah, he's he's just there cuz we know that nobody cares. So <laughs> he just shows up and takes the the ambassador's hostage so they send the only available ship in the entire galaxy which is the Enterprise. Which he by chance thought that that one in particular could like withstand crossing the barrier again this i think is where we start to see the the bane writing trickle into movies because now it's i was core I, of course it was part of my plan to get caught by the enterprise now i'm now going, i plan to steal something very large yeah exactly. <laughs> yeah kirk's like what's the next step of your master plan you're crashing the starship with no survivors and he takes him to the, the right. god planet because it was part of his plan to hijack a starship by, I don't know, Dr. Filling them. Tell me about your pain. Yeah, I don't know, man. It was a pretty risky plan. I mean, what if he got a ship full of well-adjusted people who had no problems in their lives? Why didn't he just, like, take a normal, like, I'm sure there's, like, transport ships that they have, like, you know, airplanes to, for people to travel between planets in this. 
because the script mm -hmm. says the Enterprise has to pick him up. Because I feel like it'd be a lot easier to hijack a transport ship. Right, but the script With says the Enterprise. Knives. It says the Enterprise is because coming up. Is this a 9-11 joke? Yes. Okay. <laughs> It would it would make more sense crash if, it into space dock crash it into the twin god planets. Ouch! It would make more sense if like a mem crew member of the Enterprise bridge crew or something was on the planet and had been taken hostage by Cybok. But then you have to explain like why are the fuck are they on the planet and right peace becomes a three hour movie thing. something 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 yeah whatever. So he gets the Enterprise comes. It was part of his plan all along to get caught. He's just gonna crash the Enterprise. No survivors on the God planet. Whatever. And he nonsensically influences them to follow his plan by giving them amateurish counseling sessions. Right. He basically just brainwashes them with his like mind meld skills, and that's about it. The it's really hard to describe the in like the middle portion of this movie because it's like we're camping. We're at the God Planet. What happens in between is like, what? They go to the planet on the edge of the known civilizations or something, and then he gets the ship from mind-melting people and getting them to trust them. Then they're just like, we're off to the God Planet. Woo. Yes. And I feel like there was a Klingon ship chasing them at some point. I don't remember why they showed up, or it was just because... It's because the Klingons are the bad guys and they want to know what's going on. Mm. And they don't like Kirk. That is the only reason why the, the Klingon captain decides to, like, you know, break all, like, the treaty stipulations and, you know, cross the border and everything to hunt Kirk because he's, like, he's a renegade. See, it would make more sense if Cybok had, like, taken his hostages with him and made a big deal out of that and the, the Klingons are like, we got to get the hostages back. Right, I know, that's why, why don't they make that the excuse why the Klingon ship is there? Like, they have a fucking Klingon hostage on the planet, and he's like a huge-ass, like, diplomat or something. And then Cybok could have taken him on the Enterprise, and it's like, well, we gotta get him back, and the Enterprise isn't giving him back, so you must be, like, trying to harbor him. Gotta kill you now. But instead, it's like, ah, Kirk, he blew up Dr. Brown's ship. I don't right. like him. He's a bad guy. <laughs> And he commands the Klingon ship with his muscly female, like, counterpart or something. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Forgot about that. Justin liked that part. I just completely forgot about that character or some of the characters in this movie. Because, again, yeah, that middle part is just fuzzy and then God Planet. And then they have to take the shuttlecraft back up to the Enterprise because the transporters don't work for some reason. And the, the the shuttle effects look really bad, and they have to like crash the shuttle into the docking bay or something. Oh yeah, and that one looked really bad. The little uh, the net comes up to Why stop the shuttle. That net there is it <laughs> to always... stop shuttles that crash. I don't know. But this is a thing that's never been done. So why do they have it? Oh, as a... you'd be surprised the amount of things that just show up once in Star Trek for the purpose of stopping something the scriptwriters didn't think about. Oh. Okay. It's like the round two pre, you know, filming table read where somebody points out like, hey, what about this? And they go, oh, fuck. Well. Guess we need to deal with this. Dr. Crusher loads the hypo spray. All right, problem solved. Done. We got this new drug in here. It's called anti-dye. It does happen a couple times. They make something up and just. I, I'm honestly surprised. I mean, jumping ahead a little bit that like the next one just. Six. 
like the little medical device McCoy has, like why didn't that work on? Because the plot said it didn't. Okay, I mean, it didn't look like it took a lot of skill to like go. Boop, 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 boop. But it didn't. It, uh, it's a special skill. Whatever. Okay, back to this movie. Back to this movie. So I, I think now it's time to talk about the original draft of the script here, where um, in the the written version, Kirk succumbs to the brainwashing too. But in the filmed version, I guess William Shatner put his foot down when they were supposed to do that scene. He wrote the fucking thing. Why is he so angry about that? I think because Paramount probably said that we're going to have, you know, a co-writer come in here and do this with you, Harv Bennett, who is the producer. Oh, okay. But anyway, so in the film version of the movie, God's there. Kirk tricks him and says, like, you're not really God. Turns out that it's not God. and every, You know, they get away. Mm-hmm. Fine. In the, uh, I'm going to read this now. So in the original Surf's of God's Planet, here's what happens. An awesome godlike image appears, surrounded by angels and demands that the Enterprise transport him back towards more populated sections of the universe. Kirk challenges God, and an argument ensues. As it escalates, God begins to show his true colors, and his image begins to transform, ultimately becoming unmistakably satanic. This is very important. The angels suddenly change into hordes of gargoyles, the furies of hell. At that point, Kirk, Spock, and McCoy, still suffering from the effects of their first real adversarial relationship, split up, with each man running in a separate direction. McCoy falls, breaks his leg, and is surrounded by the Furies, as is Spock. At the same time, however, Kirk has broken free. But even with a clear path toward escape, a last look back at the fates of his friends convinces Kirk to go back, risking his life in an effort to save them. Spock is first... And when he's been successfully free, I'm not making this up, you can see. I just wanted to see where this was from. Like The pair immediately joins in an attempt to save McCoy, because Kirk and the Vulcan are equally strong, who's already been carried away by the minions into hell. So he's actually going into hell. Oh, okay. So they, uh, Kirk and Spock descend together into the River Styx, which is the mythical river separating the land of the living from the land of the dead in Greco-Roman mythology. And they fight off their hideous attackers while they're swimming to rescue McCoy. They're punching demons in the face. So what is the source on this? Just this is like the s- compilation of the behind-the-scenes filming story. William Shatner wrote this in his book, so oh. this is actually what happened. Do phasers okay. work on the demons? I... <laughs> <laughs> Oh, God. So the trio find their way to a shuttlecraft that's been damaged by the Furies, and Scotty beams them onto the Enterprise one at a time due to lower power which has happened before. And then Spock and McCoy are aboard, but then Scotty beams up a Fury by accident who grabbed Kirk's communicator at the last minute, and then Scotty shoots him with a phaser. So they do work on demons. No. He kills the Fury, but the Fury damages the working transporter in the process. Trapped in the planet, Kirk is once more pursued by the Furies of Hell after free climbing a small mountain. So no ropes, no guides. Kirk free There's climbs. There's that mountain again, like I was asking about, but he was just being chased by God or something. Kirk turns around and begins killing as many of the Furies <coughs> as possible, armed with only a phaser in each hand. So he's he's gunslinger Kirk now. Kirk appears in a hopeless situation until the Klingon bird of prey decloaks and begins blowing many of the Furies apart. And Kirk screams, "You want me, you Klingon bastards? Come and get me!" and begins firing the two hand phasers at the vessel. As in the final film, he is beamed aboard to find that Spock is actually the gunner. 
So that's how that was supposed to go on William Shatner's head. Captain Kirk was going to punch God, fight off a bunch of demons, pull his friends out of the river sticks, and then gunslinger blast demons with phaser pistols. Sheriff Kirk? Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Okay. And what, he'd have like a huge heart on the whole time? Like I had no idea, but that's... Somehow just... poking past like the fat rolls? I just find that really funny. Okay. I mean, it's a little ridiculous. So the, a little the... ridiculous? <laughs> I mean, I've heard more ridiculous things from like fan fictions. It's pretty fan fiction though. I mean, come on. I mean, yeah, it's a little more grounded than some fan fictions that you've even, you know, brought to my attention before. Oh, Un- yes. Undoubtedly, the, what we the got is better. Fiction. Yes. Yeah. Undoubtedly, the, what we got with Star Trek V is better than that, but not by a whole lot. I mean, they cut out the battle with the demons and... <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's pretty much it. They cut out, like, the satanic yeah, stuff. Yeah, I was going to say, the rest of it kind of is pretty similar yeah. where Kirk's like, I'm going to get you, God, and you fucking Klingon ship. Oh, it's actually Spock. Right. Yay. Yeah. Mm. Fuck this movie. Again, like, I think this is why, you know, Star Trek has a bad reputation of being, like, some weird sometimes have like weird episodes and weird movies to not have as much of a following as like star wars does the odd the odd numbered movies yeah i think they they, seem to have like the the they tarnish the reputation of like the greater universe i think in some people's eyes much like the prequels and star wars right yeah yeah wasn't star trek nemesis an even numbered movie though um Because there's six good generations you're right. bad first it was, content. You're right. It was number 10, so it kind of like broke the rule. It, it, yeah, it does break yeah. the rule a little bit. Yeah. yeah, I think I actually was reading about the curse because I was bored one time, and yeah, they said either Nemesis or the new ones like broke it or something. Although they said the new ones were generally well-received, so they broke the curse. Yeah, that's not right, though. Yeah. That wasn't an accurate summary of the movies. Well, yep. I mean, that's about it, but I guess you I know, mean, if people want to eat popcorn and watch that, then that's what they can do. Don mix some Beastie Boys in there and. Yeah. You got to fight for your right to party. You didn't say that quite long. It's party. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. My accent's off. <laughs> Fuck this movie. The bridge of the Enterprise in this movie sucks also. Sucks big ass. They turn the entire bridge into like some eggshell white monstrosity. And I'm so glad in Star Trek VI they sh- they put it out for a different bridge design that looks a little more like a ship, even kind of submarine-like. Got metal decks and everything, whereas on Star Trek V everything is like proto-JJ. Yeah, let's talk about Star Trek VI. Star Trek VI, the collapse of the Soviet Union. I mean, the undiscovered country. I love this one. I think it's great. I it's great, too. Yeah, It's a pretty transparent political commentary, but, you know, it's a product of the time. They seem to do that a lot, though. Like, 4 was sort of like that, where it was like a very current environmental issue, and then this one's very much like Soviet Union, someone's coming to get you. I guess you could say a little bit about Khan. Like, I guess, you know, some random person that hates Kirk 
in the U.S. of A. What, Khan is like a, a, a pre-Bin Laden we're calling our shot? Oh, kind of. Sure, why not? Whatever. This movie's much better than Star Trek V. Right oh. up to and including William Shatner doing a diet, like a, I don't know, flying tackle, diving over the, the stage to save the president. <laughs> he, like, clotheslines yeah. him. <laughs> As his, his gut breaks free yeah. of the, the girdle. Okay, like... Kirk Enterprise. <laughs> Overall, this movie was enjoyable, but there were some parts where it seemed like a little long or stretched out, I guess. Like a lot of the plot surrounding like, oh, we have to find, you know, the boots and the uniforms used. It like it felt like that was stretched out. It was like could have been shorter in that scenario. No way, I disagree. I like I think that Nowadays, that's what would happen. They would shorten it up, and it would not make a lot of sense. But I like how they kind of drew out how they were looking for these assassins, and it was a murder mystery for part of it. And I really enjoyed that, actually, because they had good humor in it, too. I mean, there were good parts in it, but it was, at least for me, like, I didn't know anything about this movie. I didn't know who the baddies were and whatnot, as far as the mystery part goes. And it's just like... I sort of, from the start, it's like, oh, new person's on the ship. I bet she's behind some stuff going down. Like, Did the, the end make sense to you then when it's revealed it was all conspiracy? Between, like, the people who hate the Klingons wanting, like, to continue the yeah, war to... Yeah, the, the military hardliners on both sides conspire to whack these peace-loving hippies. Yeah, I mean, that made sense to me. Okay, well, doesn't that then explain the, the missing plot elements to you that they had little Jason Bourne commandos on the ship to accomplish the sabotage. Beastie boys. Right. Yes. But I mean, I mean the military guys get the little special assigned dudes to go in and melt chancellor Gorkon's face a little bit. I mean, no, that makes sense to me. Just, it's like, okay, I sort of see where this is going and what's happening here. Like I sort of know what's happening. You don't have to draw it out. It's what I felt like. It's like, okay, this Vulcan girl's up to something. And well, these military dudes are obviously hiding something because, like, I noticed at the start, it was like, during the trial, it was like, okay, how'd they get the captain's logs? That's not something that's public knowledge, it seemed like. So I was like, okay, there's some shit going on. Probably the new girl, because it's not going to be Chekhov, because he probably signed on for more shit already. Yes, he signed on for Star Trek Generations. <laughs> Well, we'll get to that. Interesting story behind yeah, we'll that. We'll get to that next week. Yeah. But actually, interesting story behind, uh, what's her name, too? Uh, Balkan Girl? Polaris, yeah. Mm-hmm. That it was supposed to be the Savic character from Star Trek 2 and 3. Savic character. Kirstie he- Alley. The other Vulcan. The lady who fails the test at the beginning of Wrath of Khan. Oh, and okay. Kirk is there in his Bane, like a CAA Bane pose, when the smoke behind him, like you failed the test. Yeah, okay, I remember yeah, her. Okay. It was supposed to be her character originally because they thought that that would be a satisfying arc, and it would actually have a bigger impact on the characters because, like, this person that they had trained and knew, you know, known for all these years, had betrayed them. But I guess that it didn't work out, like you know whoever they wanted to come back for it or Kirstie Alley that they wanted too much money or something, or this, they decided to make it a new character. I'm not really clear on how that happened, but I knew it was supposed to be her in the beginning. 
because the same director of Rathacon directed this one. I don't know. Maybe her schedule didn't allow for it. Yeah, but I actually think it worked out just fine the way it was. I mean, I thought what's-her-name played? Uh, Kim Cattrall played the Vulcan lady pretty well. She has a fucking weird haircut, but I can forgive that. Everybody has weird haircuts and dress patterns in Star Trek. Yeah. Yeah, I, for some reason, it stood out to me. Spock's bowl cut going on in this movie. His wig? Yes. <laughs> it, it looked like a bowl cut with sideburns. And uh, Red Foreman is the Federation president. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I noticed that. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Makes the movie yeah. better. Stick a foot up Kirk's ass. Exactly. He's going to break his foot off in his ass. Yeah, after Kirk tackles him, he's like, get off me, you dumbass. <laughs> And then Kirk says, double the mass on you, because he, right. he learned that he one learned in the it. 80s. The colorful metaphors. Yeah. That wasn't really the 1980s, though. Would have been something better. Everything is better in this movie. Like, like Star Trek V, like, it's actually a blessing that Star Trek V preceded this movie, because they had a really low bar for success. Oh, everybody's got something to yeah. do in here. Even Sulu has something to do, because he's, right. been, he's promoted out of being a loser. Yeah, I like that Sulu is the captain now of the Excelsior, and I actually like that they they actually give the ship something to do in this movie that is productive rather than just being a foil for the Enterprise, pretty much. Yeah. The effects, had, the battles, the action are all really good in this movie. Uh, yeah, the effect of the exploding yeah. Klingon ship was so good they reused it. Right, a couple times. <laughs> <laughs> But they had, like, I think uh, they had the battle cruiser, the Klingon battle cruiser in this one. And they hadn't done that since the motion picture. And they, I know they really upgraded, like, the look of the battle cruiser because it's the same model. But it looked really awesome in this movie. They did a good job with that. I don't know why they didn't use that in more, like, episodes or movies. Did you like the, the Kool Aid at dinner, Justin? Were you a big fan of that? The Kool Aid. Oh, the, the Romulan ale. The Romulan yeah. ale. Um, funny thing is. Uh, apartment i lived at a few years ago more than a few years ago with uh one of our mutual friends yeah uh one time i came home from work turned on the water and it was that color blue and why was that um apparently they were like cleaning out the pipes and they didn't tell anybody in the complex that they were cleaning the pipes out with like vinegar or something and it was like blue and it's had a very strong vinegar smell yeah. Nice. Glad I turned on a faucet and just like hop in the shower or something. Romulan ale. Yeah. Romulan ale. So yeah, they uh, cleaned the pipes with Romulan ale and I got wasted off of it. Mmm, Kool-Aid. Yeah. And you haven't read Shakespeare till you read in the original Klingon. <laughs> so <laughs> why are they all crazy about Shakespeare? Like, Because the line, the undiscovered country is from Shakespeare. I believe it's from Hamlet. And that's kind of like the thing that they use to frame the movie. Okay, I more meant like, why is the Klingon culture obsessed with Shakespeare? Like, what sort of... How are they claiming them to be, you know, you know, the Klingon culture's son, kind of? Like, why is it, like, so much better in Klingon? Like, it's... To it'd me, be much better in, you know, Old English. Like, that's what it was originally written in, like... That makes more sense to me rather than it's like English it's just. like if you Middle? were okay. It's like if you were in the nineteen eighties or something and 
you were at a dinner party with Russian diplomats. Of course, they're going to try to pimp their culture as the best. I, I, that's what I interpreted that as, that like these are two adversaries, adversarial factions in this universe, and they, they're both like, up until this point, they're both like warring to be the power in whatever, the quadrant, right? Or there's been aggression for like 90 years. Yeah. So like they're they're competitors for supremacy in the galaxy, basically. I just took and it they're as they're really like, proud of their culture. It's kind of off the same nineteen eighties dinner example. Of course everybody who is educated in Russia knew about Western culture. Right. Just like so all of the elite type people in the Klingon Empire know about Federation culture. Of course we've read Shakespeare. Yeah, we know all about you. But it's kind of like one upsmanship to like you know appropriate something from like the human culture and say like oh yeah but it's really better in Klingon. I oh, think yeah. that's it's it's like quoting somebody's mm. foreign work back to them, being like yeah. oh you didn't know this about Tolstoy, Russian guy. It's huh? like Khan says in the episode: gotcha. uh, social occasions are just warfare concealed. Right? He was right. He's a smart guy. Yes, he read that line very well. <laughs> that's right. Ricardo Montalban, <laughs> great reader. <laughs> Yep. Okay. And then the Jason Bourne breaks onto the ship and wastes him like he does, or he tries to do with that African warlord in the Jason Bourne movies. <laughs> Klingons bleed Gak, apparently. <laughs> That's worse than Gak. That looked like... It's purple Gak. <laughs> it looked like CGI out of like a mid-90s like show on Nickelodeon or something like that. What a coincidence. This movie was made in 1991. Yeah. Go. It just was like, I mean, I thought the CGI in a movie would be a little bit better than like, what was that one show on Nickelodeon that the girl could turn into like liquid metal or something? Dude, I don't know. I'm going to have to look this up. Johnny Quest? I I thought it was like Adventures (laughs) of like Alex something. Oh, Alex Alex Mack? Yeah. Yeah, I remember. Okay, I remember what you're talking about. Uh, Yeah, I think that was a little later than this. Okay. Because this is like the same year that they did the the T-1000 effect for Terminator 2. But that was... Really good. I mean, that's like groundbreaking sort of like CGI tech there. And if they're like, it's like, oh, we released this movie the same year. It's like, oh, yeah, we didn't, you know, spend, you know, years working on that versus like... We just used what was already existing rather than making something new. That's what I mean. They were probably both in development at the same time. The Terminator people did the groundbreaking work, so the people who did the effects for Undiscovered Country probably weren't working under the same assumption or had the same resources, I guess. And, you know, it's like still two years before Jurassic Park, I guess, which is everybody's benchmark for good CGI, apparently, still. Eh, well, whatever. Yeah. But it doesn't the, look good. The blood, yeah, it doesn't look good. It's nasty. Sad. Okay. But that's not really the point. But it is cool when they shoot Cork and he does like the spin in the air. He does like the the double backflip. <laughs> the point is that he's they, they kill him. Yeah, and, and McCoy tries to heal him with an LED light. And, and Kirk and McCoy <laughs> get blamed for it and sent to the Rurapente prison colony to mine rocks with transvestites. Right, and... Not a transvestite, though. That's a changeling or something. Kirk makes out with David Bowie's wife. Yeah. yeah. Is that David Bowie's wife? Yeah. Oh. Im- Iman? Is that her name? Yeah. Okay. She's like a model or something. I yeah. didn't know if it was just because like she was sort of like flamboyant in 
poofy hair like some of David Bowie's. I don't I don't really know much about her except that she's in this movie and that's that's my li- limits of my knowledge oh, basically. Oh, okay. And then she's a model now, but Yeah. Okay. I didn't know that. Yep. And then they escape because no prison can hold James T Kirk. And then she turns into a little kid with a surprisingly deep voice for a little kid. And Kirk has to fight himself. Yeah, the best part is where she transitions into Kirk and it's like, don't you want to make out with yourself? And you can see Kirk is fighting the impulse to say yes. This, and, but like, I love the, the self-awareness in this movie and it's exemplified by that scene where Kirk's like, I can't believe I kissed you. And she's like, must have been your lifelong ambition. Just like poking fun at like Kirk's ego and all like the shit he pulls in the original series. And that's what's so good about this movie. Just like Wrath of Khan, it actually makes the characters confront the stuff they did in the original series and say like, oh, did what we did back then, did it really matter? What's the point? How are we going to move on from this? Because they did it with Khan and all that stuff. And now they're doing it with the Klingons, who in the original series were like, they're supposed to be the Soviet Union. They're the quintessential bad guy. And now like Kirk and everybody who has spent a whole generation hating these people has got to get over it. And I just like the humor in that scene because it's just sending up like how much ridiculous shit he did in all the original series episodes. Like his shirt comes off every episode and he's always fighting people and his stunt doubles tumbles a lot. Yeah. His stunt double is a talented guy. Yeah. <laughs> but they escape because they gotta escape and Kirk breaks out of Kirk can do whatever. He breaks out of prison all the gotta time. Gotta go fast, yeah. Got gotta go fast, fine. Right. Cool. But they gotta go real fast to confront the invisible ship and save the president. Right. Two and two things. Scotty Super. has an upgraded engine room and it's he gets the next generation engine room. How'd yeah, that happen? Scotty is such <laughs> he's got an engine room from hundred and fifty years in the future. He's such a fucking genius. <laughs> Which very, very uh, you know, obvious to see they're reusing next generation sets uh, for yeah, and they just replaced the yeah. panels and, and they <laughs> had extra stand in front of the parts right. they couldn't replace. Yep. Like that big warp core. Hey, you stand right here and we're gonna put the camera two inches away from your chest. Just put your arms out. So, again, like, how does the fandom explain those sort of inconsistencies in this movie? Well, it's it's really hard to... You have to look pretty hard for that. It's not like a, a plot-critical thing, though. Like, hey, we have this new warp engine that goes ten times faster. It's just like a, hey, you reused that set. But, and I it, mean, like, it's like, okay, when did the, the engine room get, you know, refitted? You like, refit ships. That's okay. Yeah, well, uh, first of all, it's not on screen for very long, so... It's only really you see the set for like a few split seconds in the movie, and then for like the battle, it's all covered in like smoke and gas and stuff, so you can hardly see anything. Any, yeah, and like Clark said, they you know they upgraded the bridge for this movie from the one in Star Trek V, so it kind of makes sense that they change other things in the ship too. Yeah. Okay. But yeah. I always think that's really funny that they. Yes. It's not. I mean, it makes sense. Reuse sets. Don't build like extra ones if you don't have to, but still, like they 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 went through all that trouble like just to make people like see that oh yeah it's not the next generation you you didn't see that. But the point is that it works, and Sulu drinks his tea, and they tell him, "Hey, we got to get here real fast, and your ship's like Sonic; it can go fast." And Sulu has his jammies on. Yeah, and he gets woken up like, "What the fuck? Yeah. You have a hearing problem, Mister?" Yeah, let's talk to you later, Mister. Get out, out of my bunk. 
Yeah, get out of my bunk, right? <laughs> or get in. <laughs> Captain Sulu, sexual predator. What I noticed, though, about his bunk on that ship, he has a fucking, a fucking small closet. room for yeah. the captain. <laughs> Usually the captain gets, gets a pretty good setup. But well, he... that might just be so, like, you know, the rest of the crew feels equal with the metaphor, captain or something metaphor, like that. Metaphor. Bam. It's a more egalitarian ship. No, George Decay's <laughs> in the closet. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah, well, hanging fruit. <laughs> but still, like, it's fucking pathetic because the, don't they show the Excelsior is like twice as big as the Enterprise? It's like, come on, you can spare like a few meters to give the, the guy. The he's only the captain. Thing, the only thing I thought is that maybe he has like a closet bunk that's down the hallway from the bridge or something. There's no like hallway away from the bridge though. You got to go down I mean? and like it's, it's, it's one it's one level like it's very close to the bridge. Maybe his real quarters are like somewhere else near the bowling alley. That's that's the only thing I think. <laughs> yeah, between the bowling alley and the movie theater. Because apparently they have that stuff on the recreation decks of these ships. No holodecks. Yeah, yeah. You right. build it. Okay. Bowling in space. Yeah. And bowling then uh, Doctor McCoy does surgery on a torpedo when Spock and they fascinating. Hey, I really don't know what was going on in that scene. They look like they're just replacing sticks of ram. They put yeah. yeah, they basically yeah, that's basically what they're doing. It's sticks of ram that detect gaseous emissions <laughs> because, okay. like Uhura says, it has to have an exhaust pipe. Lucky, even guess. though she would have never driven a car before. But right. whatever, fuck it. Yeah, it's not like. Fucking fossil fuels were, you know, used up hundreds of years before <laughs> anything took place in this. And then uh, General Chang quotes some Shakespeare, much like Khan with his Melville before he dies. Ooh, a torpedo. And they reuse that explosion again, so it's a good explosion. But the real action happens down on the planet because it's revealed that uh, Benjamin Sisko's dad and Odo, who are two future people from Deep Space Nine, are actually the conspirators in the Federation trying to kill the president. And Scotty breaks through a door by leaning against it because James Doohan is morbidly obese at this point and shoots him and sends the guy careening out of a window. And he has a Scooby-Doo mask on. They peel it off. It was him all along. It was the old man (laughs) down by the shack. (laughs) General West. There's no ghost here. You know, but it's really funny, though, when they show this movie on TV now, a lot of people probably don't even see that scene because they cut the movie to fit within the runtime. They cut out that entire thing. They just show Scotty shooting him out the, the glass, and then immediately it's like, you know, Kirk's talking and making his speech. So there's like that. It doesn't make sense at all. And It, it really unless, was the Klingons. Yeah, unless you watch the movie as it was intended to be presented, or you watch like the director's cut where they add like a little bit of shit back in. Oh, Kirk jumps on Eric Foreman's dad, jumps on Red Foreman, saves him. Scotty breaks the door down and shoots the guy. They pull off the Scooby-Doo mask, and then Kirk gives him like a a Rocky IV-type speech about, you know, peace. just in the same way Rocky convinced Mikhail Gorbachev to bring down the wall. Yeah, He's he's clapping at the end of Rocky's speech. Everybody's like, hmm, maybe Captain Kirk is right, and we should be... Clapping and giving tips. We're really in Rocky IV, what the translator guy was saying to the audience was like, everybody gets bags of money or something. (laughs) (laughs) They're like, yes! (laughs) Yeah, we'll pay you two bucks to be extras. That's a lot of money over here. Yeah. Losers. But... And then they pose for a picture. Right. They do pose for a picture, that even though it's takes. a high-security situation. So, they, yeah, that was the other thing <laughs> I was about. To but it like, turns out they did take the picture in Star Trek Beyond, because that's the picture they fucking nail Spock. So I didn't understand, that's like, right. a couple things in the scene. Like, okay, 
Somehow Sulu transports down right in front to like stop. I think it was a general from like running away or something. Whoa, cart right, right there. Hold it right there. Yeah, like for some reason, <laughs> transported right in front of him, gun out, ready to shoot. Like, yeah. The other thing was all of, I guess, the diplomats in the room were like not panicking the slightest. And as soon as Kirk got up on the stage, it's like, oh, everything's okay, guys. It's okay. It's Kirk. It's cool. Kirk's up there. Yeah. We're, we're saved. We're, we're good. Right. Pretty that, much. That is a little, they didn't, I didn't really believe that when it happened because it's like oh wouldn't they think that's like kirk the presidential assassin he's coming to finish the job oh shit or, or just like, like what's going on just like general mob panic that you know happens with you know people well there was some panic nah. because they were trying the, okay. the crew members were trying to break through to get to the president like and like they were getting stopped by the crowd how about getting the fuck out of the room like what most people's general you know action would be if shots are being fired in a room like make for the fucking door well i think you got to consider though that a lot of those people there are like general staff and security so i think their their inclination would be to protect the diplomats so they want to stay there well a, a lot of the people that were like in the common middle area in front of the stage look more like diplomats and i figure they would be like yo i'm getting the fuck out of here oh maybe it just happened so fast i don't know okay scotty can't move that fast I do like that they bring that. Yeah, Scotty. I don't know how he gets that door down either. He, like, did he just bust it? He down? He leans like, against it. Yeah, and uh, it just explodes. He shot the door panel and it opened. Um, one of the it, one of the things I really like about this movie is that they do reuse Kirk's dead son. <laughs> so they, yeah, he's you he's know good to he actually one. comes back and he, he he makes sense in this film and he has a purpose because it gets at that thing like Kirk hates Klingons because they killed his son. It's like how the hell can he actually? And they, they use it against him at the trial, right? How can they? How can Kirk learn to get over his prejudice and like work with these people versus like wanting to kill them? But he does. Yeah, I know. But that's the good thing about this movie. I think is that. It actually is very much Star Trek because it shows them they're moving forward. Instead and then of, yeah. it's a nice wrap-up to the series, and they fly Peter Pan-style, second star, yeah. et cetera, and then they ruin it. We'll find out next week why. <laughs> but they had a nice, the nice, neat ending, and they fucking ruin it. Right, and I just, this was the perfect send-off for them, and then they totally fucked it over in the next movie. It's just inexplicable. Well, well, Justin's going to find it next week. We already know. But you're going to find out. You excited? No. Okay. <laughs>